Welcome to the Taking the Leap podcast, where you can learn how to launch your full-time career in this part-time gig economy. No matter what career you're in, you have the potential to be the best version of you and overcome whatever obstacles stand in your way. And now, here's your host, the CEO of Bonvera, Bob Dickey. Welcome back. Super excited to be able to spend some time this afternoon with a good friend of mine, Grant Webster, formerly of Ohio, now of Knoxville, Tennessee. Grant's got an incredible background, and we're going to dive into a whole bunch of things. But Grant and I have been friends for many years and also partners on a number of different projects. We worked together at Crown a couple of years ago, and uh, I've really enjoyed watching Grant, your the way that you process, the way that you, and the way that you live life. Right? You're very intentional. Got uh, an incredible success story, and I want to just open that up and you know ask you some questions about your journey, and because I think that you you view the world a little bit differently than a lot of folks. I know I've just I've learned a lot from you when we've traveled. We've traveled to Asia together mm-hmm. many times. We've tra- uh, let's see Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong, uh, and we've had we had a fun time getting some getting uh, some great uh, tailored suits, bespoke suits there in Hong Kong and. But it's on those journeys where we've spent, you know, so much time together in airplanes and where we've had late nights of just being up talking. But just to give folks a little bit of your background, you're the CEO and founder of Launch Thought, and you are a consultant to a number of technology firms in Silicon Valley. You have a very impressive educational background. We'll dive into that in a, in a little bit, but I, I think it's you, you were doing something that was uh, very unique a number of years ago before it was in vogue. And I want to talk a little bit about that. But you've worked with a lot of really cool companies, and I've obviously enjoyed being able to work with you. But one of, one of the things I'd like to talk about, you know, maybe dive into right now, is there's a Wall Street Journal article just this last week. And the, the title of the article was Therapist or Coach? The Lines Are Blurring. And it really got into uh, the aspect of business leaders seeking out coaches and how it is almost a, a calling card of success for a senior business leader to say, oh yeah, I've got a coach. I've got a therapist. They're helping me through these particular issues where I think a number of years ago, people wouldn't have openly said, oh, I've got a therapist. I don't know if it's because of the, uh, there, there's a show on, on television called Billions, right? And, and, and there's a character in that show that you know helps these you know day traders in Wall Street or uh, private equity guys you know maximize their potential, and so it mentions that here in the article. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I, I have in my career experienced a, a a number of coaches that have really helped me, mentors that have helped me. But with all the things I've said about you, you're 31 years old, you're a, you're a millennial, and and for you to ha- invest the amount of time that you invest, and not just time, but also resources, and going out and strategically finding the best coaches and the best mentors for you, it's been a game changer in your life and your career. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? You know, how did how did that get started? I think first, Bob, thank you for all the kind words that you said. I'm really grateful for your friendship and all the time that we've uh, been able to spend together. I've learned so much from you. And uh, I think that that's actually, I think part of the journey is realizing how much you can benefit from being around other people. I mean, it's a, you know, the, the common 
phrase about you're like the average of the five five people you spend the most time mm. around. And I think just as uh, in life, realizing when you're around people that are um, operating at a high level that have the kind of life holistically that that you would aspire to with their family, with with how they work and how they they operate on a day-to-day basis, those people that you're around make such a huge difference mm-hmm. in your own life. And I think I realized that. I mean, even, even being around you was an example of like, okay, leveling up. You were a leveling up oh. uh, relationship. <laughs> and I think that just experiencing that, realizing like, wow, relationships and the people that you're around really do make a, a difference. Mm-hmm. It caused me to start being more strategic about who I spend time with and how, you know, developing relationships. But then I also realized that there is a difference between mentors and friends and coaches. And I I actually remember uh, having lunch with my pastor once and I was just discussing some of the things I was, I was thinking about in my business. And up to that point, I'd had several incredible mentors, Mm -hmm. people that just took me under their wing and invested so much in me, taught me a lot, were very generous with me. And those were fantastic relationships and extremely formative. And up to that point, I'd not had any any kind of coach that I Mm -hmm. specifically hired. And I was uh, talking with my pastor and he he was like, have you ever thought about getting a coach to, to work with you? I mean, I was describing some different of leadership challenges or you know difficulty mm-hmm. with with hiring people and these different yeah. things and he's like well, have you ever considered hiring a coach and i was like no <laughs> i haven't i hadn't considered hiring a coach yeah. and he started telling me about how he uh, had several different coaches he had my uh, you know like three or four coaches that mm-hmm. worked with him on different things and and my pastor is also a pretty accomplished athlete and he has coaches working with him on specific aspects of of his, you know, fitness. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it just started making sense to me. And he actually connected me with, with my very first formal coach. And, uh, it was an immediate game changer for me, uh, to, to get in there and experience somebody kind of coming in from the outside. I think, um, one of the advantages of friends and mentors is they know you but they're also your friend or mentor. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes they don't say things uh, or maybe not even notice things just mm-hmm. because they're close to you and they- Maybe they're afraid to, to speak truth to you. Yeah, I mean, well, good friends do speak truth. And I mean, they, uh, you have, you know, I mean, it's, friends do that. But I think so, there's something about a coach where they can give you just unvarnished, unbiased, yep. uh, and also- external perspective mm-hmm. you know they can come in from the outside and they can sometimes see things more clearly than you can on the the inside or even your inner circle because even your inner circle close friends can be caught up in it so it's just right away engaging with this coach uh, which was expensive uh, at the time to okay wow i'm gonna you know start paying this coach to do it and it was uh i think a several month yeah, engagement. Engagement. I remember when you were telling me about it, I was like, wow, that's, you know, I didn't know too many people your age that were investing that kind of money in a coach. 
and you know, you hear people say, oh, I've got a mentor, I've got a coach, but you are literally putting money on the line saying, I'm going out and hiring who I think is the best of the best. And so share with us the, you said it was an immediate game changer. What did you see? Is it, was it different perspective? Did you, were you able to see your life through a different lens, a different angle? Were there obstacles that you were trying to overcome that you're like, now you had new insights to be able to, because I know at the time you're scaling your company and, and it was growing. So, yeah. So I guess one thing I've, I've like learned since as I've been further down the journey of working with coaches is that one coach isn't necessarily going to address everything. You're not, you know, you can't have this like one size fits, fits all approach to it. But this working with this coach, it was specifically about understanding my uh, strengths mm-hmm. and then how to align people and resources to kind of compensate for the areas that I was weak mm-hmm. in. And so having the external perspective and kind of having a pretty rigorous process of like, okay, arriving at what is it that you actually, how do you function? Uh, how, what's, what's the optimal way that you communicate? What's the optimal mm-hmm. way that you manage your time and energy and how you, how you structure things with the people that you're working with, what's good for them. And then, and then looking around at the people that you're working with and trying to understand their strengths and how they best operate. Cause mm-hmm. as a leader, all you're doing is, is trying to help serve and enable the people that you're working with. So like on working on yourself, you're then able to kind of turn around and do the same thing with other people. So that was that I just started viewing things very differently. It was, uh, there were, there were specific things of understanding how I worked that changed. Mm -hmm. But I think that the very first coaching experience just opened my eyes Mm -hmm. to the fact that you could gain improvement, that it gave me some tools to work with the people that I was working with at the time. It was, it was really valuable. You may have shared that with me back in the day about your pastor being the one who opened that, that door for you. I I was going to think that it was because of some of the work that you were doing with, you know, partners in Silicon Valley and that you were hearing what they were doing. And it's like, Hey, I want to, I want to try this out. But that's really interesting. That was your pastor that had that insight. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when you look at uh, anybody that is operating successfully, however you define Mm -hmm. that, they are never doing that in a vacuum. And if they are, I think you can realize that it's like not going to last very long. And I mean, I've experienced this myself because I still get caught up, whether it's within a specific project or relationship. Sometimes I take too much on Mm -hmm. myself or I depend too much just on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you, you might be able to do a good job at that or get, you know, really positive results for some short period of time, but it ends up not working. So anything that's like long-term viable, successful always has this, this team that's working around it. So if you look at, um, any, uh, there's a lot of bad examples and like athletes, but look, mm. you know, look at a professional tennis player. They're, they're amazing because they have somebody that's working with them on their nutrition. They have somebody that's working with them on their form. They have somebody that's working with them on their fitness. They have somebody that's working to correct, you know, imbalances in their muscle groups. And they have all these, I mean, a a bit masseuse, of, they have a masseuse. Exactly. I mean, they have a, a little bit of an entourage and in the entourage, uh, if you're, if you're thinking, thinking about it the right way, it's, um, it's not some kind of ego trip to have all these people. It's really like realizing like, look on my own, I do not have what it takes 
to be uh, successful or perform at a high level in this area, I need other people to come alongside of me and mm -hmm. help me and, you know, cur you know, make up for my weaknesses and tell me what I'm not noticing and, you know, specifically correct things that are wrong, watch specific areas. So I think you just see that as a pattern. And then I started realizing, I started getting into it and um, talking with more people. I would realize like, oh, wow, they're, they're working with, they're working with a coach or they're having uh, somebody help them on a specific right. thing. And, and maybe it's not a coach. It could be even uh, you want to accomplish something specific in your business, a specific initiative or project. I mean, th the way you do right. that is to answer the who, not how mm -hmm. question. It's like, okay, find somebody mm -hmm. that can that can tackle that. Right. What, so what would you say to somebody who's maybe early in their career, they're looking for their first coach or first mentor, what should they be looking for and how can they go after somebody and, and create a relationship where they, they're getting mentored? And, and even for that matter, I mean, what about somebody who might be mid-career or late career, somebody who uh, you, doesn't have the disposable income that maybe you have to be able to spend thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars on uh, professional coaches, but they still want to be able to lever up. And there's all sorts of examples, I think, in life where you, you can have a great mentoring type of relationship with somebody that you're not paying them, right? And what would you recommend to yeah, those folks? Absolutely. I mean, my, my mentors have been so, have and are so critical for me. I think, you know, if I look back at maybe mistakes or just things that if uh, it's like learnings mm -hmm. from uh, working with mentors... I think one of the things, and this applies whether you're you're working with a mentor or with a coach, mm -hmm. this idea that one coach, one mentor, one uh, person in your business, you're not going to hire this unicorn individual that can solve every problem or address everything. If you if you view them that mm -hmm. way, you and they are going to be become disappointed, and there's going to be mm -hmm. stress in the relationship. And so, I um, I think that's one of the key things that I would say is not to view any uh, mentor as being the end all of everything you're, you're looking for. I think that a mentor, you can think of them a couple ways. There might be a specific thing that they do that you, you want to learn about. Like they're, they're very effective at communicating or they're very effective at putting together certain types of deals or they're very effective at some type of, you know, managing. Mm -hmm. there, right. There's something. And so go at them for that, but be careful not to take everything that they are. And you have to recognize that you are your own person and you're designed probably, uh, almost certainly differently than they are. So even if there's one area that you really admire, just recognize that you shouldn't try to replicate their whole life. That's That was like a really key learning for me mm -hmm. as I went through several different mentoring relationships, I would find myself being like, okay, wow, this person's got it all figured out. And I would try to start emulating everything. From and then, A to Z. Yeah, from A to Z. And then like realizing like, wait a minute, this doesn't work because like I'm a different person. So you have to kind of sift and take. Mm -hmm. The other thing, like mentoring relationships, I would distinguish them from friends. You have to have friends that I, I ideally are like kind of two-way uh, mentorships. Mm -hmm. Like we were talking about a bit ago where it's you know it's a relationship that goes two ways you're mm -hmm. both learning from one another but also a friend is different than maybe a mentor where you actually say would you please mentor me 
And to do that, you know, it's, it's interesting how open people are to that when you're persistent and when you ask. Mm-hmm. I think uh, good leaders know that they have to be about enabling other people. They have to be about, they, they want to invest in others. And so what they're looking for is somebody that will actually take that investment and do something like if they deposit a gift to you they want to see you do something with that gift that's the that's the litmus test so you have to prove that you're going to be a person that Mm -hmm. takes the gift that they're giving and doing something with it and one of the things about a coach uh, is like you're investing in it so even if it's costly to you I mean, I would say to somebody, even if it even if it is costly and it hurts, that would be something worth doing because you're invested then and you'll actually mm-hmm. take those things right. seriously. But if you're working with a mentor, I would look for ways to invest in it and have it be costly to you, even if it's not money. I mean, ask to help. Can I help mm-hmm. you with things? And even even in that, not just asking to help, but like helping them, you know, Mm -hmm. like learn as much as you can about the types of things they're interested in, the things they're researching, you know, stalk them on social media and understand what it is that they are thinking about and pursuing. And if you, uh, even if it's as simple as finding uh, an article, Mm -hmm. that could be really relevant and sending that to them, just constantly looking for ways to be a value add to them, knowing that it's, it's disproportionate. Mm -hmm. It's, you're not going to be able to give somebody that is mentoring you at a high level what it's worth right. at that time. Um, and that's okay, but it's really more about you showing that you are invested in it and that you'll take what they are giving you seriously. You'll, you'll treat right. their gift responsibly. I think you hit the nail on the head with that last comment because you know everybody's life today is so busy. And the... Anybody that you're going to reach out to and ask to mentor you, th- their life is probably much more complicated and busy than yours, mm-hmm. and their time is extremely valuable. They've got a plethora of things and people asking for their time, so it is a huge investment for them to take a few minutes to a few hours for a, for whether it's weeks, months, or you know sometimes a, a mentorship relationship could last for years. That's a massive investment. And if they realize that, because I think everybody wants to do something that's going to outlive them. They want to be a part of a cause that's bigger than themselves. I've never met a successful person that did not want to help others around them. And if they realize that that is going to be time well spent, and this is a way in which they're going to be able to help the next generation or help somebody else and they're paying it forward, they'll willingly do it. But if they feel like this is falling on deaf ears, and the person is just there because they want to walk away and say, hey, guess who my mentor is? My mentor is X, Y, and Z. And literally, it's nothing's being done with it. Then the, the door will close very mm-hmm. rapidly. I, I've seen some folks that have, uh, I, I call it kind of mentor shopper, shopping, where they're looking to find somebody who will tell them what they want to hear. And then now, now, now this validates a you know something that they want to do in life. Well, so-and-so told me that I had to do X, Y, and Z. I'm just like, okay. Uh, you've got a completely, you know, disingenuous view of what a mentorship is. The other thing that I would say that you touched on, and I've also been sharing with folks, is that I think everyone, we, we've now come to a, a, a spot in society where people understand that mentorship is really important. You know, you hear it all the time. What, whatever book you read, 
uh, on any type of show where there's a, some senior leader they're talking about, you know, mentorship relationships that they've had in their life. And so people will throw that term around pretty loosely. But it, unless you have formalized a mentorship relationship with somebody, I, I think that a lot of times it just kind of gets glossed over. Well, so-and-so is my mentor. I'm like, okay, well, ha- have you really sat down and said, hey, look, here's my expectations. Will you mentor me? I want to be mentored. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you can expect of me. I promise I'm going to do this, this, and this, and here's what I'm hoping that I can expect from you. This is the type of relationship that I want, mm-hmm. and I want you know, complete, raw honesty, openness, truthfulness. I think that when you formalize that relationship and then you lay out expectations, you know, it, it sets a, the, the, the table. Yeah, you have, for, to, you have to define the relationship. Yeah, right. Uh, and it, it, I think it, it, it sets it up for greater success. As opposed to, hey, I went out and had coffee with somebody, and that's my mentor. It's like, no, you had coffee. Yeah, you can get good nuggets from those coffee meetings, but I really do think that committing to a mentoring relationship, committing to actually kind of be someone's disciple uh, is is a different level of commitment, and that's Mm -hmm. where an immense amount of value. It's funny you talk about people are realizing it. I think it's just kind of coming full circle. You can look through all of history and the way that, the next generation mm-hmm. was equipped, educated. Everything was always through some type of mentoring or um, apprenticeship yep. kind of situation, and I think that uh, I think that we're now realizing that that is actually still very relevant. You know, we thought you could uh, we thought you could get you know everything maybe out of a can, but that that mentoring aspect is is critical, and I think it will become even more critical. Um, because as machines and computers do more and more of the stuff that is just kind of like skill based, Mm -hmm. it's that like nuanced wisdom, creativity, intuition, those are the, the spheres Mm -hmm. where the machines are going to have a hard time operating. And so that's literally stuff that you can't learn Mm -hmm. in in like sort of a rote way it's it's stuff that has to be transferred so i think it's going to become increasingly relevant i want to continue to talk about technology and how it's changing the world around this is something uh, it's a subject i'm passionate about and i talk about frequently so i want to get your perspective on it because i know you've got some really interesting insights from your work with companies in silicon valley but i want to rewind a little bit in your past and i want to talk a little bit about your your education so i know uh, as a michigan boy i forget what you called it earlier but i was laughing because i don't think anybody's ever said impressive or something whatever the the, it it is it it is an impressive (laughs) educational background because i think you were doing something that was somewhat risky right that was it felt uh, risky. It felt risky. still feels risky to be sometimes. You know, and, and people understand why, right? So, so now I'm a Michigan boy. You grew up on the border of Michigan and in, Ohio. In Michigan and Ohio, yeah. So would you call your your, your, your Michigan boy? Though, I'm, right? I'm Michigan. Okay. That's because my wife is from Ohio, and I'm, I call myself from Michigan, even though we're from both. Yeah, because states. if you were an Ohio yeah. State fan, I don't no. know if I could, you know, finish the interview. But no. I know you're a Michigan boy, so totally. Okay. You've got you have parents. We went to the University of Michigan, great pedigree there. You were homeschooled. I was. And you then, so this is, we were talking about it earlier, about 12, 12 or so years ago, you decided you were going to go to do an online 
educational experience at Thomas Edison University out of New Jersey, mm-hmm. which at the time, I mean, that had to have been kind of cutting edge of online distance learning. And it wasn't very, uh, right nowadays, I mean, everybody seems to be doing some type of online learning. It's ubiquitous. Uh, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, not the case. Uh, but not only that, I mean, I, I have the ability to, to know you through your professional career, the things that you've done, the things that you've accomplished, the companies that you're working with. But you literally got to within a couple of classes of mm-hmm. graduating and just said, you know what? My life is too busy. I don't need the degree. Um, my company is growing. And you, you, you walked away or walked away, didn't finish. And I think there's a lot of people who would be like, oh, my gosh, you know, you, you got to get that degree. You're like, nope, don't need it. And. So I think I, to me, when I, when I look at uh, what you've been able to accomplish in life, and you're a, you're a shining example of kind of like the, this new age entrepreneur, Peter Thiel really made it kind of sexy here within the last few years. And when he launched uh, his initiative and he was challenging, uh, yeah, you know, to drop out on college or yeah, 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 yeah. young people who are in college. Hey, if you've got a great business idea, drop out of college. You don't need that degree and all that student loan debt. I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars to start your company. Right. Uh, and people are like say, what, what's going on? Uh, and in some respects, that's what you did 12 years ago. And I think that you were very much a pioneer. You know, it was, you, you were doing that before it was, you know, safe and kind of sexy to do it. Being, but, but, you know, right now it's being talked about Fortune Magazine and Wired Magazine and all those types of places. So tell me a little bit about your educational background, because I think that your parents did a great job of giving you a, a, a tremendous foundation, your homeschooling. And then what, why was it that you decided, you know what, I don't need this college degree and you just walked away and to continue to focus on your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah. Well, I do think it, it starts with my parents. I mean, my parents gave me such uh, incredible um, foundation, I guess, really first of of uh, love and security to to operate on, and that's something that you know, I, I think is extraordinarily impactful to to your life to to be operating from that place where you know that you're loved, you're accepted, and um, that you're safe. That's that's uh, that's huge uh, blessing. So being homeschooled, especially back, you know, starting 20, 25 years ago or, or more, 25, 26 years ago, was not as common uh, as it is now. It was definitely sort of a, a different path. And I think going Going, you, you have to give the quote from one of our friends. We've got so th- this is you know West, West West Point graduate and Harvard Business School graduate, and he and what's his oh, quote about the, the five five acres yeah. and goats? Yeah. Yes, yeah, like, yeah. Home, most people have this perception of homeschooling as yeah. five acres and goats and yeah. homespun there, clothes. There, and stuff there like is that. some of that to be sure, yeah. but, but um, not that was not that, your background. Yeah, no, that wasn't that wasn't my background. And and my my parents homeschooled for a number of reasons. Um, one of them that I think is interesting to bring up, I mean, this wasn't the only reason, but 
I was having a lot of different. Just FYI, I have a whole bunch of friends who homeschool. I homeschool. I have have one of my. So I'm not busting on homeschool. I just think that 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 quote by one our mutual friend is hysterical. I remember when he said that over lunch one day. I about busted out laughing because I had I had mental images of like Laura Ingalls. You know the old. It's it's a valid mental image. (laughs) So that's not that's not uh, our upbringings. But go ahead. And maybe even I mean I think I think now there's so many so much more resource available and so many more mm-hmm. people that are doing it and a lot of like infrastructure and there was less of it yeah. 20, 25 years ago. That just, it, it was more of a, a different path. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the, one of the contributing factors was I was having an incredibly difficult time learning how to read. And uh, we went, you know, to different you know, reading specialists. We went to, um, eye doctors mm-hmm. to see if my eyes were uh, all right. And it was kind of like, uh, no, maybe, you know, maybe it's just kind of a learning disability. We're not, we're not clear. It was just, it was really stressful. It was difficult. I was under a lot of uh, stress and a lot of, um, you know, just frustration, constant frustration from struggling and struggling with that. And I know my my parents, my poor mom, you know, kind of constantly trying to work on this, but they didn't give up on trying to figure out what was the matter. We went mm-hmm. to all kinds of people, just constantly, uh, constantly pursuing an answer, mm-hmm. and that was one of the one of the contributing reasons to 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 being homeschooled, is just to be able to figure this right. out and like kind of be able to to pursue it um, more holistically. And we ended up. You know, finding uh, an eye doctor that was, you know, an hour and a half or more away from where we lived. That uh, after seeing all kinds of other people, nobody could find anything that was wrong with me. It was like I spent a few minutes with me. It's like oh, I know exactly what's wrong. I can fix it. I had you know some some uh, uh, difficulty track. I could see clearly, mm-hmm. but then when I was trying to uh, track words across the page, like if I looked at a fixed, you know, you're standing in the op- optometrist office and like looking at. The X. X. I can see the X, but then when you start moving and trying to put them together, uh, one of my eye lenses wasn't cooperating, and you know it was garbling everything. And so, um, but I I didn't know that's what was going on. I didn't know any different. You're just getting frustrated yeah, because yeah. you're like, how come I can't read? How come this yeah. is making not make any sense? Yeah. So that was just it was really it was really challenging for years, and it was I was nine, almost ten, I think, before I could read. Um, when we found this this doctor and my my mom mm-hmm. took me every week to to go to kind of these um, training sessions where you you know you did all these exercises to strengthen different muscles in your your eyes and they're really challenging. I would get terrible headaches because you're you know, <laughs> doing oh, all this yeah. like looking crossways and you know doing it was it was really difficult these long drives and doing these things. But pretty quickly, I mean, within a couple of months of starting that, I I could read and. I had a real, um, a real motivation, kind of a fire in my mm-hmm. belly from being so delayed and held back and frustrated. I just like poured myself into. Oh, so you had kind of like this appetite for knowledge and learning, and just like tore through it. It did, yeah. I I went. I mean, I just started attacking. I started reading so, so much. I mean, it was. Uh, I think it was this thing. It was a subjective that I'd been fighting for so hard and was just so frustrated and then when i could read it was just amazing to to be able to read and uh my grandmother would take us every week to the library 
and I would just get stacks of books. I mean, stacks of books. Mm-hmm. I was getting books about stuff I had like no business. Re- I mean, I didn't even know. I would. <laughs> I was getting, um, you know, business books. I was so interested in, mm-hmm. and you know, entrepreneurship and business. Even then, you know, I'm like mm-hmm. ten. I just learned how to read, and I can remember getting this like Jack Welch book on management and reading it. And I probably didn't understand hardly anything, but right. you know, I was just. I was just like, I can read and, you know, I'm reading all these things that are probably way above me and, and uh, about all kinds of different subjects. You know, I was, I was interested in the ocean. So I'd get these like textbooks about marine biology. Right. I was interested in kind of the crime, CSI, crime scene. You know, I was yeah. getting books about just everything. all everything, but I was so excited I could read. So I think that like variety and breadth and just like I can read now and literally mm-hmm. running into the library and getting just stack of books was huge huge influential in uh in being you know widely read and just right. pursuing knowledge and so then so then being homeschooled well, it, comp- it compounds right so over yeah. time you you're probably reading stuff at 10 that you didn't really have oh, i had no you, clue i had no clue what i was even reading <laughs> in the dots but you you do that for year after year after year after 30 years you know, all of a sudden this, you have this mosaic of knowledge that all, all these dots are starting to connect and it, you, you're able to make sense of it. I think that's one of the reasons why you're as, uh, you know, smart as you are today is you, you are very, very well read. It's one of my favorite things that when you and I get together, we instantly be like, hey, what books are you reading? Yeah. And we trade back and forth. And so I, I definitely want to ask you about some of those of, but, you know, continue on. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. So the education, um, we were talking about education back yeah. then. Right? Okay, yeah. So I, you're, you're homeschooled. You're a voracious appetite for reading. So I think that's part of, I think that's one of the points is that it's actually like this non-school stuff mm-hmm. that has had the, the big, that's what I'm talking about. It's like I viewed this incredible appetite for reading because I couldn't for so long. It was so hard. Like that had such an enormous impact mm-hmm. and still does on me more than a, a class or a, a program that I was a part of. Like I, th- I view that as really critical, but then being on that path of homeschooling, which mm-hmm. especially back then, I mean, it was, there were, there were people that were homeschooling. It was a valid thing, but, mm-hmm. but it was, it was different. So I think that that probably inoculated me some mm-hmm. to making um, choices that are, are a little bit off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. Cause I was, I was doing, you're you know, already doing was, something was that already, was a little bit unique. Yeah. I was doing something that was different. It was just the way it was. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was great. I, I, I thought it was super, super beneficial. And then, um, I had this kind of entrepreneurial bug just, it was, it was clear in me from, so this is your first leap. This is your, well, yeah, yeah. I've thought at different times, like what was like my literal first yeah, first leap. What was the first thing I ever, I ever did? And there, it's so funny. Um, my my daughter Audrey is you know selling uh, the the coupon books for mm-hmm. for school, right? And she so the other day I had this total flashback because um, she she was practicing selling on me. I kind of coached her a little bit. Hey, here's okay. Here's how you can you can do this. Here's how I would kind of tee it up and ask and. Um, and so she was practicing on me and I, it was kind of like one of those moments where I just like, all of a sudden I was back being about that same age. And I can remember my dad, I don't even know how it came about. I, I was, I was interested, like I wanted to sell something and we got, you know, some catalog of, 
you know, it was like wreaths and honey and, you know, different things right. around Christmas. Oh, and I remember those. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I sold, I sold stuff, yeah. you know, and my dad helped coach me and, and, um, you know, we went, you know, probably, I think probably, uh, it was probably just like my grandparents and a few neighbors that, that bought from me, but still it was like, you know, like six years old selling stuff. Yeah. That was hugely Learning the art of the deal, the yeah, art of the sale. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that that was a huge uh, point, I think, to to just start doing those types of things. But it was even when you know when your kids like playing something, mm -hmm. like what they're playing, I think, is just so evident of maybe what they're interested in. If they're just carefree, what are they what are they doing? I kind of try to be observant about this with uh, my kids. It's like what what do they just gravitate towards? If you're if you're not um, coaching yeah them. not co coaching them and like and when you see that okay yeah. kind of help support them in that I mean I played creating businesses I can remember making my own baseball cards like 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 drawing you know like these aren't even real baseball cards like making and like trying to sell them on the sidewalk to people that were that were going by I mean so I was just like yeah. I was playing having uh, a business of some kind so I mean, it was just like from the outset that was that was something and then you know, another another big thing is I had like kind of pretty big lawn mowing operation. Mm -hmm. Seems I, like a great start for most American boys. I know uh, yeah. I did. I did the exact same. I mean, thing. it was huge, and it started out when um, I was I was pretty young. For I mean, it was probably like eleven, mm -hmm. and there was a, an elderly couple that you know he he just had hit that point. Where it was like I gotta I gotta stop mowing my lawn. Could you could you do it? And he was. Uh, a huge stickler for for detail like he mm. he was coming out and like measuring my overlap of 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 the uh the wheel oh, between yeah. the the rows and and so i started then you know out over a number of years like i mowed many many of the yards in the neighborhood and had this yeah. kind of lawn mowing empire going but um that that entrepreneurial thing was started and all throughout kind of high school age i kind of knew that i, I was going to do something in that mm -hmm. space i didn't know what and I, I didn't necessarily know how my dad was kind of pushing me more towards the technology mm -hmm. front of things because it was you know clearly, clearly a lot yeah. clearly a good opportunity although even less clear then than it is now i mean now it's totally a no-brainer mm -hmm. but then the the different paths and the, the ease of entry I think weren't as obvious, and so uh, I can remember getting you know books. I can remember uh, my parents buying me you know, some some programs to to build websites with, and you know, I was experimenting with that. So even I had you know had a lawn mowing business and a website business, and you know, all these things were kind of cooking in the oven while I was in high school uh, age, and so when I got to the uh, college decision I actually had like a pretty good kind of business. It was really kind of more of like a freelance mm -hmm. thing. It wasn't a, a business, but it was. was uh, you were making money. I was making my own freelance. It was a. It was. I was doing work uh, in software and websites, and I. You know, it was. So the decision to go uh, to do distance learning. Yeah, it was like, hey, I want to be able to keep my freelance business going. I don't want to go off to school. So it was a lifestyle choice. Yeah, it was it was a lifestyle choice. It was kind of it wasn't this like I had because I had something going. It was like wow, if I I think I would have a hard time keeping this if I just went the the standard route. I need to figure out how to 
how to how to keep this and be able to still like I wasn't sure. I mean, I was interested in in a variety of things. I mean, I I you know was interested at one point in going to law school. I was interested. I didn't know exactly what the future was, mm-hmm. and I wanted to keep my options open. So that's why I was like, okay, optionality. I think optionality is probably um, one of my like. One of my favorite words too. Key, you know, it's like a key guiding principle. Um, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, those books. I think I was attracted to that before those books. Before he uh, he wrote The Black Swan and then Anti Fragile, Anti Fragile, which is one of my favorite books um, ever. Actually, you know, before those were even out, it was like I I was attracted to okay, how do I create more options for myself? So I didn't want to give up. Which you know, in hindsight now. I've realized that I'm I'm actually more in the mode of like trying to trim <laughs> like trim options now strategically mm-hmm. because I, but I think early on it's great to create like as many options as possible because I do think many people go down a path that unwittingly limits an incredible amount of options you study a very specific thing that maybe isn't what you even enjoy doing. enjoy doing and you don't know that until you get into it uh, and then you're kind of locked in there. You rack up a bunch of uh, debt, um, and and also you've just invested all this time. So then there's this emotional pull of like, oh, if I you know change, yeah, the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, exactly. So I think that uh, that was something. Thankfully, I I kind of avoided because uh, I was very interested in keeping my options open. I was very interested in like, okay, how can I keep this business that I had going, which wasn't amazing but i was definitely like starting to do pretty good it was like okay wow i'm like i have like a an actual like adult income kind of right, with yeah. with my freelance stuff and so I do, and then i had you know some opportunity to travel i i um i had a friend in china that invited me to to come kind of travel all around china and so i i did that um and I, it gave me the opportunity to do some of these things that were also incredibly formative experiences and at a very young age started like you know opening up like i can remember i think i was 20 when i went to china and spent like a month there and i literally had like no plan Mm -hmm. i wasn't even sure for sure where i was staying like my friend said he was like sorting something out but i didn't know where it was and down the road by the big oak tree and turn turn left (laughs) well and that caused problems um at immigration they're like so where are you staying and i'm like uh I actually know. don't know. <laughs> I, I actually don't know. And uh, I, I don't know if that would work now. But I... Well, they just track you. Yeah, now, now that now it's like, okay, we'll just... Yeah. No worries, we, we got you. Yeah. So I had some of these things. So doing the online learning was like really good option because I was interested in these things. I wanted to create options open. I wanted to have experiences. And it was like really hard because I was working a lot. I was balancing doing classes online and and um, taking tests and having to you know study aggressively and do like I, I can remember actually while I was in China I closed the largest consulting deal I'd ever had at the time while I was in China I woke up in the middle of the night to, to be able to do this conference call with the COO of this uh, company in Texas mm-hmm. and it was just it was like it was a, it struck a me as, it was a surreal moment. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm 20 years old. I'm like on the other side of the world. I, you know, I'm, I'm hustling through these classes online and, you know, it, so it was just, it created the opportunity to have those kinds of things. It was a lot to balance. So then I was chipping away at the school while building the business. And then 
it got to the point where I was going to get married and I had just a couple of classes to finish and, you know, the, the business going. And it, I was at a point in my life where it was like, wow, something has got to give where I, I'm like going to die. You know, it was my, my health kind of started unraveling and I was just spinning too many plates. And so I, you know, kind of did, um, uh, OODA loop, you know, okay. I'm, I'm, observe, observe, orient, decide, decide, act, you know, okay. It's like, okay, I'm in a situation where literally the wheels are starting to come off the bus. I'm not able to continue. So you're just a pregnant pause here. You were super successful. You had been intentional in designing your life the way you wanted it to be. You had made leaps. You're an entrepreneur, but it didn't scale. You, you, yeah. you basically hit your your max and it's like time, money, family, all these things. It was just like the, the, the wheels are coming off and you've got to make some pretty radical decisions. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, and it's funny. I, I don't know. It's like the idea of success. Like there was success, but I, I now I think of success so much more like holistically than mm-hmm. than I than I did. And it's like when you look at the situation then, and it's funny because I've been in this spot like multiple times since mm-hmm. there, where you hit these growth modes where like stuff stops working, where, where yeah, it feels like, wow, the, the wheels are coming off the bus. The stress is at uh, a high level and it's like a signal. Uh, it's, it's easy to take those things. Um, I, I've even wrestled with this in some areas recently where it's like, wow, am I, you know, I'm... I'm, uh, am I failing? You know, like I, you have that voice in the back of your hand, like this isn't, this isn't working out very well. This isn't what I was imagining. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then having to take that as an opportunity to like recalibrate, because I think as we grow stuff, no longer fits. Like you cannot remain, like you cannot remain static mm-hmm. and it goes across so you're either growing or you're atrophying. Yes. Yeah. You're growing. But I think as you grow, you have to recognize that different things change and everything interconnects. I mean, your, your family, your health and fitness and your spiritual life and your business and work and, and time and energy management, all these things. It's like they're all interconnected. They're not in silos. Yep. And so as you're growing in one area, you have to make adjustments and like be aware. And often I'm not aware enough to like make the adjustments proactively every so often I am, but usually it's like you end up with like alarm bells of some kind going off or like some, some aspect of your life isn't working. And so you have to, to make a call to recalibrate. And that, that point when I was uh, going to be getting married, we had the business, I was doing the school, there was all kinds of factors. My health was really not that good. It was like, okay, I can put this down and pick it back up. I can choose not to go to school and it, it feels low risk because if it doesn't work, I could go back. It's not, I I can always go back. It's not, it's not the end of the world, but I'm going to choose for now because the, the, these other things are more important in the family business. Yeah. And so I chose to to step back and I wasn't sure if it was just going to be for a semester until I got my head above water or uh, if it, you know, if it would be forever. And it's funny, I, I still don't know if it's forever. Maybe I'll figure it out. But it's uh, the other side of that coin for me is I have noticed at different times, I think every entrepreneur has like moments of doubt where you're questioning, like, 
Daily? Da- <laughs> daily or, or, you know, sometimes hour, you know, I, I, um, I think it's the entrepreneurial I, journey. I think right? it's funny because like sometimes I can start the morning like, oh, this is going to be great. You know, I'm, things are really good. And then like a few bad things happen. You're just, are, are we going to make it? I don't yeah. know if this is. So one of the things I've noticed, and I, I've actually written this down, that if I start, if I start thinking this way, yeah. I need to like evaluate. Like I, I, it took me years of having this recurring thought pattern to realize mm-hmm. it was a pattern. And it's sometimes I start worrying, like, is this, is this all going to work out? Is this, you know, or maybe there's some big setbacks of mm-hmm. some kind and it's like, oh, yeah. what's going? I'll like literally start figuring out, so maybe I should go finish this. And I'll, I'll look around at like, oh, what, what was a couple classes I could take to, to finish this out? I realized it's like some kind of like default defensive position that my mind goes where back where, to where you're retreating back to it yeah. almost feels safe right yeah it almost yeah exactly I, so I, I actually deal with this regularly i mean where it's like why do, why do you feel that it make that falling back to that point seems safe because that's not it's not like having that degree is going to offer you any more income earning potential you're just going to have something to hang on your wall right it, it, well exactly and that's that's the thing that um i think it's it's uh it's an untruth. It's a lie in my own mind that, you're that I have to battle and wrestle with that. There's this external thing that can somehow, um, grant me mm-hmm. safety. And that's, that's like not true. But what, what I'm saying is even you're though facing I'm, an obstacle in life and in, 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 in your the, the defense mechanism, the retreat mechanism is, Oh, go over here. Stop what you're doing. Don't face that obstacle. Don't face that fear, but go back over here because this seems safe. This will provide for you. When in reality, when you really look at it, it's like, no, it won't. No, it won't. It, will, it literally provides no value, but it feels it's easy to do. It feels safe. It's socially acceptable, right? Exactly. It's all, it checks a lot of those sort of comfort boxes where like, oh, most people would say this is a good idea. Um, Everybody you know, will it, agree with this. Every, Everybody will say this yeah. is a wise decision. Exactly. And so I guess what I'm saying is, is like, I still with all yeah. your success, you still I still back. default back yeah. to that where I'm thinking, should I, should I go, you know, should I go do this? Is this going to do so? And I like think that way. And like, it's happened enough time for me now, or if I fall myself or I find myself falling into that sort of like thought pattern, I have to, I have to like fight it and remind myself. It's like, no, I'm, my value isn't in that, the, the, that uh, getting this piece of paper. My value isn't found in that. Like people won't, you know, find, love me more because of mm-hmm. of that. Um, that was I, really interesting. I mean, I've I've known you for a long time. I never knew that about you. I mean, we've, you and yeah. I have tried. I never knew that that was something like a default mechanism that you yeah, would like I, retreat to and went on bad days. That's, yeah, that's I really I definitely default back to it. And 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 I think the key is to like recognize that that happens now and mm-hmm. and like when that happens, like tell tell yourself the things that are true about that situation so i i so tell tell me i interrupted you tell me about the the things that you tell yourself that are true that help combat that negative there's a like a doom loop a negative loop that's playing in the back of your head right and you and you combat that because i think that happens to me it happens to anybody who's on an entrepreneurial journey anybody who's going to take the leap is going to have that right those those little voices those little untruths in the back of their head and I, i just want you to share how you combat that yeah well i think that the very first thing is to recognize that it's happening because i think that i can sometimes go i uh, I mean ideally it's seconds 
um, right, where you, you realize you're starting down a, a bad thought path. Um, I had this last night. I was, uh, I don't see, it's so funny now. I don't even remember what the set of circumstances were, but there was like a few, mm. a few life things that right. like, oh, didn't work out super well or whatever. And I was like running just like a little bit frustrated. And I realized like, I, I kind of like took inventory. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm like feeling kind of irritable and, you know, like identifying that that's happening. And sometimes you can do that in seconds, but sometimes, I mean, I've gone days where you're in a, a loop in the back of your mind thinking mm -hmm. about something. So I think the very first thing is to like get above the situation. That's where I, I do keep going mm -hmm. back to the OODA loop. When you're in a situation, it's something that the, the military, um, John, oh, we'll have to look up and put in the show notes his name. Um, it's a, it's a fighter pilot. It's, he's a fighter pilot. I can't think Vietnam of his name. War, yeah. yeah, but he developed this observe, orient, decide, Side act. Back. So it's like observe. The first thing when you're in a situation is to just like situational awareness. And I think that becoming aware is the first thing and like constantly checking in with yourself and realizing what path you're, you're on in, in your mind because it's easy to, to just not. It's, it's easy to... Um, to just go with the flow and be frustrated for a long time and not realize it. So checking in regularly and even like now I'm starting to, to create in my day, like a lot more times mm -hmm. where I actually reflect. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things I've, I've uh, started doing less of is listening to stuff in the car. I still listen. I still listen to some books or some mm -hmm. podcasts or things, but I, I deliberately create at least a couple of the times I'm driving each day do not listen to anything and that's this opportunity to like kind of check in mm -hmm. and go okay what what am i thinking and feeling mm -hmm. and then orient yourself to the things that are a problem and so if you're thinking something that's not true it's like okay identifying what that is okay i'm 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 thinking this and then what's decide what's uh true about this and what am i going to do about it yeah, or what am I? What am I going to do? And sometimes, sometimes it really is more of a thought uh, exercise. So I know that my uh, worth and value does not come from uh, what I do. It, your paycheck, your titles, your yeah. business. Uh, yeah, you, you and have I have had some really good, yeah. good conversations on this. You have to remind yourself that that's the case. I mean, I I believe you know that I um, am made by. God and put here on this earth at this time. And, you know, I'm, I'm a child of God and that's my identity. Mm -hmm. And so like defaulting back to that, that's, that's the only safe place that, that actually works and doesn't have holes in it. Mm -hmm. So orienting yourself to that truth, but also there's like practical things. So sometimes it's like, okay, I'm really anxious about this. I'm just going to take just a minute and like just write down what I can do about it and what I have absolutely no control over and I'm just going to let go. Right. And just doing that and then being willing to move on uh, from that and then take action on the things that you can act on related to that. And um, yeah, that, so that loop is something that like I really do try to to think about a lot. And I um, I also do reminders like so that OODA loop thing mm -hmm. I had uh, I hired an Colonel artist John Boyd by the Boyd. way okay I started Air with a Force B. Colonel John yeah. Boyd really uh, has had a huge impact on me 
I hired uh, an artist online to, to design a poster. I'll uh, I'll send you I'll send you one. Nice. That that's OODA Loop, and I, really? I look, yeah I, I look at it, um, and I also will put things that are true on my phone lock string lock screen. So mm-hmm. um, and, and I change it regularly. Maybe whatever it is I'm wrestling with, it could be you know, a Bible verse or just some kind of statement mm-hmm. um, that speaks to some of what I'm wrestling with, but mm-hmm. that like forces me to uh, encounter that and think about it, even on a kind of a subliminal level, mm-hmm. multiple times. So I know that's, I, I feel like that stuff in the background, people don't talk about it enough, but mm-hmm. I think in the background for, for everybody, but especially those who are taking a leap and, mm-hmm. and doing something, I mean, anything worth doing yeah. anything and think about this like anything that's that's love love is inherently risky like you're opening yourself up to being rejected to what you're doing not being accepted by somebody else to it mm-hmm. like you know not worth so anytime we're doing something out there that's worthwhile it has risk accompanying it and so i think that the the fear factor of those risks is something that plays in many, many people that are there in that space, taking, taking those risks in the back of their mind a lot. And so finding ways to like deliberately fight that and speak truth has been critical for me. And I'm, I still feel like it's, I'm still learning how yeah. to do that. Well, you're speaking to an aspect of the entrepreneurial journey that I think a lot of times gets overlooked. I'm reading a book right now that talks about so much of the, the, the entrepreneur stories that we hear. We hear about the starts. Oh, it's amazing. It's an incredible start. You have this great idea, that great visionary. You raise a bunch of capital. It's the, it's the startup phase, right? And then you also hear all of the stories about the exit, the sale, the finish, the, the IPO, or whatever the case may be. You know, the entrepreneur sails off in the sunset on their yacht and you know, re- retire with this great life. But you don't hear a whole lot about the messy middle. The years after years, sometimes of toil, of hardship, of building and scaling and creating a company or be, you know, becoming on your entrepreneurial journey, you know, creating your, your pipeline of income. And it's the ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. But you, you go back and you start to uh, interview those entrepreneurs and the things that when they sit back and they recount their stories, they don't really recount a whole lot of the, uh, the start. They don't, you know, the recount a whole lot of the, the, the finish. It's the, it's that messy middle that they are, that they, they relish. You're like, man, I was in the fight. I was doing something. I was, I, I had this challenge, overcame that. We did this. And, but a lot of times, you know, the, it's important for entrepreneurs to know that self doubt is going to, it's always going to be there. It's that, that voice in the back of your head, that's going to be chirping at you and yet that you've got to, you overcome, got to overcome it personally. I, I would imagine that you, your coaches, mentors have helped you in those, in, in those times. Or, I mean, you, you mentioned about your, your pastor, but that, yeah, that is something. If, you, if anybody who's going to take the leap and do an entrepreneurial journey and think that it's going to be like, hey, you know, my, my scale is going to be, the, the, the graph is going to be constant up and to the right, as they say, you know, and the, the all business plans mm-hmm. at the beginning look like they're up and to the right. It's a false, yeah, false yeah. narrative, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. it, it also, I think, 
is healthy for your <laughs> for your own like mental health and awareness to recognize that like every growth necessitates change. Mm -hmm. So as you grow, even if things are going up and to the right, all that means is that like new new issues are being created at every single mm -hmm. level. And you have to be able to like adapt and like those new new issues are oftentimes bigger than the ones at the previous level. And so it can actually be more stressful. It's like you think to yourself like, oh, I okay, this if I get over this mountain, then things are going to be good. And then you get over that mountain. It's like, oh, yeah. wait a minute. This is there's like another yeah. another mountain. Only this one's bigger and harder and less, you know, less clear. So it, it, I think for a long time, probably like only just recently mm -hmm. in the past like year or two started tuning into that. Where I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, you know what? There's, there's always, always another hill. Yeah. And like changing that mindset to to being more like life, like this this is an entire journey of a life. Like I'm not. I want to live my life. I don't want to just build some business or build um, you know a, some couple year window of time. I want to like live my whole life. I want to be able to look back on it and uh, not have regrets and feel like I walked in all of uh, walked out my design walked mm. out what I was capable right. of and so adopting that like much longer term view has helped me a lot be be more aware and kind of calibrate to it's like yeah okay so I currently have this objective but when I get beyond that I know there's another one mm -hmm. and it's always going to be that way versus having this kind of idealistic mindset that somehow when I get over the next till, everything's going to be great. Well, I also think that it's setting proper expectations where you're able to enjoy life and live life in the moment. And even though there's challenges and there's stress and there's obstacles, but that you're, if you enjoy that process, you're having fun and living life. I think the thing that I, I get concerned with, when I see a new entrepreneur that's you know signing up for a business or starting a business, and the only thing that they like is the thought of where they're going to be in ten or fifteen years, like okay, I've got to wade through this primordial swamp, mm -hmm. and it, I'm only going to enjoy it when I get this bright and shiny object, whatever that dream is, way off in the distant future. That's when I'm going to have fun. I'm like. Oh man, mm -hmm. I, that person's not going to make it. My, my personal opinion, because you've got to enjoy the process. You've got to enjoy what you're doing. You've got to enjoy the people that you're working with and you're going to be facing obstacles every day. But I relish it. I love it. I, I, I tell my family, it's like, yeah, I work. But in some respects, um, I don't feel like I'm working because I enjoy what I do. Mm -hmm. I, I love leaning into it. Um, so it, it, there's a new challenge every day. It's someone who you know just it hates it. I don't, I don't know. Have you have you found anybody in your career, someone who just like literally lows every minute or it doesn't enjoy the process and is able to eventually have success? Yeah, I think it's that last part that that's key, because like you definitely run across people that don't seem very happy. They're not mm -hmm. you know, they're not enjoying it. And I think if you're in that spot for any extended period of time, it's going to impact the results. I mean, I'm thinking especially like some larger companies or clients we've worked with and, and some of those layers inside of their companies, you always run into people that it's like they're, they're putting in their time and, mm -hmm. and they just don't seem to enjoy it's it. And it's like, clock, it's like, it's clear that, well, that they've 
limited their own potential and they've also limited the potential of those around them by having that mm-hmm. mentality. And I think, I think uh, entrepreneurs though can hit that spot where they're not enjoying, I mean, they might relish the fight, but sometimes you get tired, you get tired and that can be an opportunity to go, okay, maybe I'm not pointed in exactly the right direction. I think if we're living out our, we're to reframe, right? I mean, yeah. Like I'll reframe a, uh, a challenge. If there's something that where I'm at and, and for whatever reason, let's say I'm having a negative thought process about it, or maybe I just, you know, like, like you said, you, you're going to get down the dumps. You're going to be, you know, stressed out about something, but if I can reframe it and look at it through a different lens. And one of the things that for me, since education and learning is such uh, an important part of my life, one of the easy things that I will do would be like, this is, you're getting a you know, more education here. These are new experiences that you're going to be able to leverage. You're learning yes. from this. You're going to be able to leverage this later. This is making you a better leader. This is making you a better CEO. This is right. And then when I look at it through that, I'm like, oh, I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting free education. I'm getting a, a, a real world MBA on X, Y, and Z. Yes. And th- then all of a sudden I get excited. So I, you know, it's interesting how from a psychological standpoint, you can reframe an issue and, and unlock a whole bunch of energy and excitement around it. Yeah, totally. I think I think that mental shift of like evaluate, but that takes awareness. Like if you're not aware and thinking about what is going on for you or evaluating how you're feeling, you never have the opportunity to reframe. Mm-hmm. You never have the opportunity to update yeah. how you're thinking unless you know that you're thinking it. One of the things you had mentioned earlier on the OODA loop, and I absolutely love that, and the an area where I find since this is the leap podcast and we're talking about people taking the leap and um, that in and of itself requires action, some type of acting, right? Uh, For those folks who would, or people who, you know, observe, orient, decide, and then, then stay there and they're like, and, and never take the leap, never, never act, never take action. Be like, I know I need to do X. I know I need to go do this, but I'm too afraid. It is extremely painful to watch somebody who's stuck in that spot. And I've, I've watched people who have been in that spot stuck for years, uh, afraid to act, afraid to make the decision. It, for me, one of the things that I found is that's living a life a lot of times of uh, being, uh, being reactive. Life is happening to me. Uh, I, I'm not in an empowered position and when you take that final and last step of acting, whether you're making the right decision, wrong decision, but you are being proactive in life, you are being an active participant and in intentionally designing your next steps. You're going to learn from it. You're going to have progress one way or another. Folks that are in that and understand, it's like, look, I can intentionally design my life. I can make, I can take action that is going to move me forward. It, it's a, it's a game changer to be able to live, to have agency. As, mm-hmm. as they say, they have, have enough agency to, to make those decisions. Yeah, I think that um, I, I've thought of it as like swimming in the ocean and you're looking for a wave to ride. And what's interesting is like, I think there is a tension because some people don't, you know, uh, they don't act. Their default is to think, observe, but not put the effort in to go. And then there's mm-hmm. other people, and I might fall into this category more, where you act like too much. You're like, okay. I'm, you know, you I got to do something. Around. Yeah, you're thrashing around. And what's interesting is in both cases, you can miss the wave. If you're sitting on the beach, like wondering when a good time to get in is, you're going to miss it. 
And if you're out paddling around all over the place, looking, you know, looking for the wave, looking for the thing, I'm going to go try try that. that. You're also going to miss it and you're going to get exhausted. I mean, I've wasted a ton of energy and money and time like chasing things Mm -hmm. that aren't, uh, that weren't the wave, that Mm -hmm. weren't exactly right. So I, I find it to, to be really aware of like that tension of like, what are the things that I can be doing that are moving me forward, that ha- that are placing me in the water in a position to kind of capture the wave. So one of my mentors talked about it also like being a bear, you know, you got the bear over the, the trout stream. Mm-hmm. It's like, you want to figure out how to be uh, a bear over a trout stream. You can't, you, you want to put yourself there where there's lots of trout. You want to be able to watch them go by and look for the right one to go. And that, that's where you want to, uh, find yourself mm. and so like i think that's helpful is like what kinds of things am i doing that's putting me in that spot to be able to to act but also if i'm just like running around chasing mm-hmm. trout i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get them so like, i think there is this tension and a lot of it comes back to like okay what what are my responsibilities right now like mm-hmm. inventory them and make sure i'm being totally faithful in fulfilling those things because if you're not doing that you're definitely not going to be able to be successful at yeah. something else. And then it's also making sure that you you have some margin or some capacity in your schedule and your budget to when you see that thing that does make sense when you do the 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 loop and it it makes sense this is the thing I have to mm-hmm. to act on that you can pounce. Mm-hmm. Speaking of pouncing in this new ever-changing global economy, you talked a little bit about you know, you, you pounced on the opportunity early uh, and you created Launch Thought, which has mm-hmm. become a very successful company for you. Not all opportunities are equal in this new economy, right? So you, there is a whole slew of them out there. And uh, someone can say, well, I'm going to you know, make the leap. I'm going to become an entrepreneur and I'm going to go be an Uber driver. And I would say, okay, yeah, Sort of, kind of, you know, you know, that CEO is trying to put you out of business, obviously, and it doesn't scale. It's very, it, it, there, it's right. There, not a lot of upside, but you hear about it quite frequently. People, hey, I can go make a couple bucks in the weekend. I, explain to me your thought process on how how you look at those types of uh, look at opportunities. And I think it probably goes back to defining success because you had a lot of success at a young age, but it didn't scale. And it was, your time was completely, I was was maxed out. Maxed out. And you sort of had to cut, cut things. You had to re completely re-engineer your life. So if we, if you define your, uh, define success as, you know, I want to have a balanced life. I want to have a family life. I want to have time. I want to have an opportunity that scales that's going to be able to provide, you know, either maybe a, to start a secondary source of income, maybe it becomes its primary, your primary source of income. All, you have to look at the world through a completely different lens, right? Yeah. So I, I do think it starts with defining success. What are, what are you actually trying to accomplish? What, what do you, I think it comes to understanding who you are, like what your strengths are and how those would play well and how you can leverage them effectively um, that that I think is critical because even there on a so you can evaluate opportunities on a purely like spreadsheet business you know basis and that that's good and maybe should happen but 
I think it also comes down to like personally, how do you maximize yourself and all that you're designed for and making sure that you're you're exercising that full capability that's that's inside of you. Mm-hmm. And so that's like the, I think that's one of the bigger things that I look at when there's different opportunities to to work with people or projects. It's like, okay, is this is this leveraging my my strengths, my design? Am I going to mm-hmm. be operating in this? So that that's that's on a personal level how I think. I think on like a, a platform and trend level, I think that we're we're in a time where things are moving very quickly. You know, the 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 decision you make to to be like an Uber driver is kind of a short term decision because whether that's three years or three years or five years or ten years, that that's not gonna be um valid option so as a person you have to be committed to to growing and learning like regardless of what path you're on i also think uh there's a really good case for uh, overlapping and there's there's uh, actually a good book i think it's by sean mckay we'll we'll look it up and can give a link to it but it's called it's called overlap okay and it's a it's a really great kind of story on how he built a very successful um while he was like overlapping with just a regular job and so uh, he had it he first defined right that clear objective of where mm-hmm. he wanted to go but i think he had a family and he had so there were some constraints where he couldn't just be foolish with his time so he designed very intentionally a way to overlap the overlap the two objectives and he was able to transition from the one into the other fairly seamlessly and able to to take on some risk on the opportunity side that he wouldn't have been able to if he didn't have the other so i i think that thinking uh, about your design thinking about where you want to head long term exercising your strengths and also recognizing that you don't have to get there all at once Mm -hmm. you can you can overlap and i even think that principle carries on on a personal level when you say you've started that business well most businesses especially now your business model or way of acquiring customers or servicing mm-hmm. them is going to change like it's it's not going to stay the same for very long and so you even have to learn how to do that overlap maneuver mm-hmm. even in a company like you have multiple to like, times yeah, in your career like, yeah you're like as a personal career but even in your company I mean, mm-hmm. as a company you have to be like okay this is how we are making money how we're acquiring customers, converting those customers and servicing them, how we're doing that right now. But 10 years from now, that those same channels and those things that we're using now probably won't be as relevant. And so you have to constantly be looking at how, how to make that overlap work where it's like, here's where we are now, here's where we're going. I've got to figure out how to overlap the two. And that, that can be an uncomfortable time. But I think you're, that, that's a repeat move that has to happen in your personal life through your career. And even if you do start a company or business, figuring out how to keep leveling up and overlapping. I mean, you even see huge startups doing this. I mean, Uber, using the Uber as an example, it's like they started where it was just a, a service for high-end you know, black cars mm-hmm. in a few zip codes in San Francisco. That was that was it. And then they, they kind of had to overlap to the next layer and the next layer. And their ultimate goal is to be a mobility company that's moving people and stuff from point a to point b on demand food now exactly so packages yeah so so it's like that whole uh 
transition is an overlap that they've had to consciously move between those different opportunities. So I think everything changes and you have to orient yourself to making an overlap move multiple times. We touched on the importance of being a lifelong learner and then the, the importance of overlapping. Those are probably two of the, the key things that we have hardwired into you know, by very our entrepreneurs, a vast majority of our entrepreneurs are doing that o- overlap, getting mm-hmm. started. This is their first entrepreneurial experience. Uh, sometimes it might be their second or third. And then having a, a scalable new way, you know, our new way MBA, a new way of learning that brings that knowledge to the entrepreneur for them to be able to, to leverage and to, as you said earlier in the show, uh, lever up by association with people. And, and so it's, it's something that, you know, I've seen in, you know, my travels and the people that I work and associate with def- definitely trying to make that a very important part of our company's culture, you know, for our, for our entrepreneurs. Let's talk about, you know, we've, we've covered quite a bit, <laughs> you know, we, we've talked about work success. How about Give me give me a couple of things that you're learning right now in Silicon Valley. We said that we were going to circle back and talk about that, but you're you know you're you're consulting with a couple of companies out there and you know doing some good work. I mean, what what do you see? I mean, you know, uh, little nuggets for folks that are listening in. Okay, so yeah, it is interesting. I mean, Silicon Valley is an interesting place, especially you know being in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is actually really wonderful forward i mean it's not it's not uh it's not the the uh backwoods of anywhere but when you go to a place like bay area or you go to hong kong or mm-hmm. china where there's just like this incredible concentration of people and innovation things do you know pop out i think right. it, i think it's sort of um a uh, a glimpse at the future in mm-hmm. a way that we're not experiencing it mm-hmm. here because it's like a concentrated dose. Right. So funny thing that comes immediately to mind is, you know, I enjoy running. And so one of the things I've found running in some of the neighborhoods out there is I have to be like super alert. Like I cannot run with any like AirPods or anything in because so like the vast majority of the cars are electric. I mean, it's and like, you don't, yeah, you don't hear them. It's like, they're silent. And so you're just like this, this, mm-hmm. uh, funny shift. So it's like, look at that as like this little microcosm mm-hmm. boots, boots on the ground, literally example yeah. of how things are going. It's like, oh, wow. Like th- this, this is the trend. Like basically everybody here, like eight, you know, 80% of the people here are driving an electric car. So I, I think that that's like a, an interesting anecdote of, of where things are headed. I also think um, you just see over and over again these ideas of uh, platforms. Mm-hmm. I think there's an incredible book, Platform Revolution, which it's it's a little bit in the weeds probably for some people, but it's this idea that uh, we're, we're entering into a networked society. Mm-hmm. Early platforms, modern platforms, would be things like you could look at like eBay or Craigslist or something where you're connecting you're disintermediating something that used to work much less efficiently and putting it in a centralized place, creating a platform where the, the entity itself is not, um, they don't own inventory. They don't, uh, they're just connecting. They're just connecting. 
And so that to me is, it's exciting. It presents opportunities and challenges because I think everything is being platformized. So what, networks are becoming more valuable in this new economy. Absolutely. And I think the interesting thing is that scales, it's a, it's a kind of a fractal idea, right? Where you can look at it at different mm -hmm. zoom levels and it's the same. So at a gargantuan opportunity, like a, an Uber or an Airbnb or something where they're creating this networked platform. But I think it, it applies down even on an individual level. If you start thinking of yourself more as a platform where you're connecting. Mm -hmm. uh, even think of you. I, I actually think of myself this way as like a concierge in a really nice hotel. Sometimes right. I literally, I literally picture this uh, when I'm working with my team or people. It's like picture yourself being that concierge at, at a really nice hotel. It's highly trained, knows um, how to read people and understand what they want. And, and like their job is to facilitate the people that are their guests having a great time being connected with anything they need. Mm -hmm. And so I think on like a personal level, you can think of yourself in that way of like, how do I connect people to what will help them be more successful, whether it's information, mm -hmm. whether it's a relationship or a connection, but like that, that is a thing that like, that's, what's becoming valuable is those connection points. Well, connectors, right? So connectors yeah. in this new society have a tremendous amount of power. Yes, but you, influence. you don't have to be a, a multi-billion dollar startup to be a connector. Like you can actually do that as an individual. You just have to adopt that mentality and be like, oh, this is my, you know, this is my uh, business model. This is my way of operating. Mm -hmm. And the platforms that um, succeed long-term uh, are doing that in a really, I'll use the word like loving uh, and kind of golden rule sort of way. I mean, I think you see this now where the the platforms, even the ones that are super successful, I mean, Facebook's getting picked on a lot right now while we're recording this, but it's like there's a, a slight miscalibration. Like I think that they do a lot of good, but there is this like little miscalibration where it's not reinforcing, they don't have everybody's best interests. So the platforms that do have everyone's best interest at heart and are operating as a good faith actor to connect people with what mm -hmm. they need, I think that that has potential both on macro startup scale and on individual mm -hmm. level. I think another um, trend is kind of the monetization of Slack in in every system that's out there, there's so many assets that we have, whether it's tools in your garage or your vehicle or your computer or yeah, just any, any asset, real estate, any, anything that's out there, there's a whole bunch of inefficiency and Where use. 90% of the time it's just sitting there not being used. Exactly. So Silicon Valley right now is examining every nook and cranny of life and trying to figure out how to get full utilization or as much utilization as possible and the most efficient utilization of possible of pretty much any asset that's out there. And so there's tons of business models uh, to be had there. I mean, an incredible mm -hmm. number of uh, opportunities. I literally just heard something the other day. This is, I mean, this is a micro opportunity, but there's so many people that are starting to work from home mm -hmm. 
that there's a guy that's buying a bunch of like, you know, Aaron Herman Miller chairs from businesses that are closing and like outfitting at home workers with their, with their workstations. With, with workstations that are less expensive, like, you know, at a pretty good discount compared to, to buying mm-hmm. it new. So he's going to offices that are closing and mm-hmm. buying the stuff and going, but it's like that to me is an example of a latent asset that's there. And it's just like connecting it to the right people. And so in big ways and small ways, I think that's a huge piece of what Silicon Valley is doing. And really, if you look at AI and some of these kind of big, scary uh, things, machine learning, AI, what those things really are doing is it's just statistics. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's how can we most efficiently organize this information or these assets to people's advantage. And that is going to create I think incredible efficiencies mm-hmm. right now. There's so much waste uh, in, you know, in I mean, it has environmental impact. It has cost mm-hmm. uh, impact for everyday people. And so I think that there's a huge amount of waste that's going to get taken out by, by what the folks out there are working on. Well, I'm passionate about maximizing opportunities around the house, H- household income, all sorts. I mean, that's kind of a sweet spot that Bonvera is speaking into in terms of, you know, what, what does it look like to be a, a business of you? The, what does it look like to take turn your home into a business that right now is a, for, for most American families, it's a consumption, right? Yes. But how do you turn that consumption into a business opportunity? And it's, a, it's, a, it's the exact same play that a lot of, as you just mentioned, where Silicon Valley companies are saying, hey, how do we take these latent assets and turn it turn it into a valuable asset? That's exactly the play that we have. And I think I think that being aware that this stuff that they're doing isn't it's not like magic. It, it's you can literally do the same exact thing on your own personal level. Mm-hmm. So taking that mentality and putting it down on on the relationship level or the individual level is mm-hmm. totally valid. Like look at kind of deconstruct, okay, what what's what's working out there? Okay, these these businesses are connecting people. They're looking to help people in these ways. Like, well, how, how can I do the exact same thing? Like do the they're exact laking, t- they're taking latent assets and turning it making it valuable for folks to be like, okay, ding 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 yeah, ding. I can, like, yeah. You can do this. You can do this yourself. Yeah. Your your home, your time. You have to inventory it and, and analyze it. And I think, you know, I think the other thing about Silicon Valley right now, just to talk about that whole, I mean, we're, we're using a place as a, a sort of a label for an, an entire industry that's really much global. Yeah, global, much bigger than that. But I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that seem wise in what they're doing. But I really, and maybe this is like, you know, my Midwestern roots, but I also look at it and we can start seeing the fractures in uh, companies like Uber oh, uh, or sure. companies like Facebook. And so what I'm saying is, is look at what they're doing that's working and succeeding and apply that in your own life. I mean, they're figuring out how to connect people. They're figuring out how to be this like hub of information and resources that people need. You can take that and do that in your own life. You can be think about your friends and your family and like what do they need and like legitimately try to under, understand mm-hmm. them and understand mm-hmm. that very empathetically. And you can find ways to help them. And the more you help other people, I think the the more you'll succeed. 
in the same way, though, I think we can look at the sort of growth, the I'll be controversial and say like that book blitz scaling. Mm-hmm. I struggle with it. I, 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 uh, no, I'm, it has some good ideas in it and some good thoughts, but I, I did not like it because to me, it, it does represent a really proven playbook for how you can grow like some kind of Silicon Valley company super fast. But I also look at it and, and it may be the only playbook that works in the sort of, it's almost an arms race right mm-hmm. now. So, I mean, I, it, it's, it's valid. I'm not saying they're not good ideas, but I'm also saying step back for a minute and look at like the outcomes this is generating. Yes, there are a number of people that are becoming incredibly wealthy as a result of the sort of like ultra fast growth, you know, acquire customers at all, like acquire first and then figure out how to Mon- yeah. like uh, the- raise a billion dollars spend it to gain market share and then don't have a business plan like ah eh, we'll be profitable down the line look for some people who are able to do that and able to tap capital markets and have it it works but for a vat like if you're tied to silicon valley you can get that type of yes. investment capital but for the vast majority of entrepreneurs in america who don't have access to that and who can't spend a billion dollars to build market share you can't blitz scale right it's Ex- like exactly and if you take those things so i think that there's i've noticed this a lot talking to, to different op- entrepreneurs they'll read a book like that and they'll try to apply it to their how do i life. do this how do you do this and it's like well that might not even be the type of business or the type of space that you're in and you're trying to apply something that does not apply to you, to you and that that's a recipe for discontentment right. for one. I mean, it's like social media. It's like, you know, browsing social media and there's always somebody that's, you know, more beautiful and more fit and... That, yeah, well, that's a completely different... Well, we, we could have a whole podcast on that because of the social ills being, you know, perpetrated on American society. I think society that's happening on the, on, the, on, the business the, side. on the business side where people are looking at businesses that it's like, okay, first of all, do you actually want that business? Are you in that same business and can you scale that way? And you might act, I mean, I've been guilty of this where I'm like, oh, well, this is how, this is how it works. I see these companies and I try to apply it in, you know, uh, my services business. Mm -hmm. And it's like, "Mm, that that didn't work. I just basically wasted a bunch of capital. So the the flip side of that coin. So let's say if if you were to put blitz scaling on, on one side of the spectrum, right. And, And I've read the book. I think it's a phenomenal book for companies who are operating within that context yes. and, have, and have access to that type of capital uh, and can be not profitable for years while they're burning other people's money. Uh, the flip side of, the, of that coin, which is another book that I've really enjoyed and I would say is probably more apropos for the majority of the folks that be listening to this uh, or people who are starting companies would be a customer-funded business. Yes, yes. Uh, Publishers Wiley, and, and that's a phenomenal book, and that is about bootstrapping and you know making strategic bets and looking about hey i've got to be profitable right now how how do you build a company and scale it knowing that you've got to bootstrap and be profitable day one day two and 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 be a little more artful with your financing methods yes but i think even there like what's your outcome so if you're um if you're in that overlap mode so I really like being able to take super long-term perspectives on things where if you're, if you're dependent on uh, like income now, that's totally fine. But also that's not as advan- advantageous as being able to have a little bit of a, a longer-term perspective. So if you can do that overlap maneuver and, have the, and view that as your capital and be willing to play the long 
game and cultivate something with like really strong foundations, I think that's also a powerful, powerful maneuver. I haven't read the book Overlap, but for just hearing you share about it, that would be, that's the, the sweet spot for a vast majority of entrepreneurs who are getting started because, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, sometimes, and I, I'm amazed there, I mean, there are incredible stories of entrepreneurs that literally like you, they have nothing, it has to work and they're able to build incredible companies, you know, mm -hmm. boost like that's, I'm, I marvel at that. I think for more people, they are in that overlap space, but you have to be willing to look at this side thing that you're developing, look, treat it like uh, an investment. If you're having to realize gains from it right away, that's not wrong. But if you are able to figure out how to treat it like uh, an investment that you're cultivating over you're time. building a pipeline of income. Exactly. You're building it and you're, you're willing to reinvest. Mm -hmm. I mean, something that I did early on to establish really strong relationships that led to a lot of business was even when it did not make sense like numerically, mm -hmm. I would go visit people. I would fly to California. I would fly to, you know, Florida. I flew to Tennessee mm -hmm. and visited yeah. you. I mean, I it, like I would I would invest in that and be like, okay, yes, I'm spending a couple thousand dollars doing this, and that could be straight profit that I'm saying goodbye to. But you're building relationships. But I'm building relationships. Long term I view. I viewed it as an investment. I, I I I treated things that way so much, and I think that's when things really can start compounding. But you have to be able to overlap that very very wise point to make because i there's there are a lot of folks that think to be like hey i i'm looking to make you know a couple hundred bucks next month if that's the case you could be potentially led down different paths yeah and, and there's nothing like, wrong with yeah. being in that spot right right uber or something but if you want if you're wanting to look for something that's going to have long-term viability that is a, a pipeline income. You and I talk about mailbox money. We've had lots of conversations about mailbox money um, and, and creating those types of opportunities in life. It, it definitely, that does not happen overnight. It takes, you, you have to have a long-term view. You have to invest. You've got to build out the system. But once you get it right and hone it in, it becomes extremely profitable. And my experience not only it, it's probably the most scalable because it, then it provides the a, a much more uh, balanced lifestyle, right? So now the, the the thing the reason why you and I both love mailbox money is because it, that lifestyle happens, yeah, right. You, you're you're not I'm not trading time for dollars, and you know you can literally you know it's it's still producing for you while you're on vacation in Europe while you're sleeping at night, um, and those are the types of systems that I think for those who are looking for secondary sources of income that can become primary sources of income. That, there, that's a huge difference from going and looking at an Uber because an Uber is never going to do that. No, I mean, that's, that's just a transaction. You're in taking time for money, which if you do need to make a couple hundred dollars next month, that might be a great way to do it. But I think that viewing it as an, an asset and as an investment, it causes you to look at expenses differently completely like, different. like this is something that i i didn't always think this way and sometimes you can you can think i've i've thought too much this way at times mm -hmm. but i think that when you when you have a job you tend to think of expenses in a certain frame mm -hmm. but when you're investing in a business you have to think of money differently 
it's uh, I think of things as are they an investment or a cost? And what is a cost is uh, maybe different than what you would expect. So, so you give me an example. Well, I mean, I think like the, so the relationships. Yeah. yeah, the relationships is an example where it's like, okay, I'm not viewing this uh, in my head as an expense, even though it's going to cost a couple thousand dollars to make a trip and visit somebody and you know cultivate this. I'm not putting that in the expense category. I'm putting it in the investment, investment. category. Now, like I said, you have to be careful with that because you can uh, invest your way to nothing. Yeah. But I think framing things that way or even um, getting support, getting help. So coach, investing, yeah, a coach. Investment. Investment. Getting something that's going to grow your capacity is to me an investment and not an expense. I mean, there are certain things. It's like, okay. Well, you, it, you and I talked about this one because you, you, you and I have gone to South by Southwest twice yeah, together, right? Yeah. And I and I chalked that up as investment. I was in, absolutely. I, I was in, I got to hang out with you. Yeah. We got to meet a lot of really great people. A ton of education that we were both able to bring back and apply in our different companies, right? So and that that's an investment. Absolutely. I mean, like, okay, so my cell phone. Um, yes, is it a valuable tool that I use in my business, and does it make it me money? Yes, I could make that argument, but it's it's an expense. Like I just, it, yeah, it's not creating necessarily it's not going to create value it's not going to create more value it, i mean it earns its keep but it's a it's a expense but thinking of things uh, hiring people i was talking to somebody recently that lost a significant client because uh it was like you know a hundred thousand dollar client and they realized that if they had uh an admin person that for 20 grand yeah, probably that that they probably would not have uh lost that. So is that, would that admin person be an expense or an investment? So really calibrating yourself to mm -hmm. think that way. And if you're trying to build a business that is bigger than you, I mean, a Uber being an Uber driver is not a business because it, as soon as you aren't driving, you're not earning. Mm -hmm. uh, a business is something that has uh, machinery that's working even when you're sleeping. Right. Well, that, well, they said that's the only way to become wealthy, right? The Yes. Yeah, you have to, if you want to become wealthy, you have to figure out ways to make money while you sleep. Exactly. And you can't do that when you're driving Uber yeah, unless you you're going to be really <laughs> be really unsafe. Yeah, it'd be a short Uber career. So, I think that thinking about it as an <laughs> Yeah. Thinking about it as an investment, yeah. that whole uh, reframe has been really valuable for me and it's helped because sometimes it's painful, especially when you're when you're going and you're like in that slog of getting something going you're just wanting to see a return but being willing to go okay i'm going to invest in these relationships i'm going to invest in learning i'm going to invest in education is an investment i'm going to i'm going to invest in getting people to help me i mean that i i'm a huge like who not how uh is a phrase i constantly running through my mind because sometimes i'll get caught up in like okay how am i going to do this how am i going to implement this plan mm -hmm. and then like i have to recalibrate to go okay wait no don't figure that out who is the right person? What company can I hire? What person is out there that can just slam dunk this, find them and uh, get them to help you with it? So it's like all those decisions are investments. This is one of my favorite questions I hear Tim Ferriss ask all the time. What is one of your favorite purchases you've made over the last year, less than $100? Oh my goodness, okay. 
Hmm. AirPods are more than a hundred dollars. I just realized I was going to say AirPods, but they're, they're those more, things are they're, awesome. They're more, yeah, yeah, they're like they 160, are, I think 159. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say the, the, that is like one, like most gadgets kind of don't necessarily change your life, but the, yeah, the, <laughs> that's a game they're, changer. They're, that was one that I was like, I didn't know I would like these so much. Yeah. So way to go, Apple. I, I would say I'm, you're going to ask me which, which one, but I think, I think, uh, books, are always, oh, that was my next question. What, always, what books are you reading? Are always like the thing. I mean, I so I treat books kind of interestingly. I used to get a book and feel like the shame if I didn't finish it, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I it's like oh, I got to finish this book, and I got a stack of them I haven't finished. And you hear people talk that way, and I used to talk that way. Mm-hmm. I have shifted to thinking in terms of I don't have to finish a book, and there's so much value packed in a book. It's more about getting that. Uh, one thing from it than it is about completing mm-hmm. it. So I am literally, if somebody, if you tell me that you read a book and it was helpful, I will go buy it. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many phone conversations I have, like, oh, this is a really good book. Oh, I buy it. And I might look at it and scan it. And if it feels like there's something that is pertinent to mm-hmm. where I'm at right now, I will look more at it. And if if not, but even just being willing to make that that kind of like quick investment is is huge and having that mindset rather than it being this like i've got to finish and then if there is something that's super relevant because there are books that i grab mm-hmm. and i like read from cover to cover and yeah. take notes on and reread and and whatnot but i think it's just being willing to buy a book those are those are probably tease out a couple key nuggets from it and you know yeah. be able to apply it i think the other thing and this is once again veering away from your question but i think that like experiences to me, and this is this is going to sound super millennial, I guess, but it's like I don't know. I mean, yeah, I like I like stuff. Um, I like there's stuff that I have that that makes my life easier, happier. But like for me, I think that it's like maybe doing something. So like w- like even going like a couple weekends ago. Here we live in the Smoky Mountains. Right. It's beautiful, and I am like oh, I don't go. I didn't get out. I don't get out there as much. So, just literally that morning, we're eating breakfast, and I'm like, Allison, let's let's go. Let's cancel everything else we're thinking about doing and go go climb a mountain with the kids, and like be willing to to do that. So we, you know, we threw some sandwiches in a backpack and drove out, and and uh, you know kids climb we got to the top yeah. of the mountain we ate our sandwiches up there and like that you know that you know part of a tank of gas and the getting out there I mean like that to me is is huge but I think it takes like deliberate intentionality or before I came here to mm-hmm. uh, meet you and record this podcast I uh, I had a call that was went much shorter than I anticipated it mm-hmm. which like that never happens right like, and hey, I had some, bonus time I know I had some bonus time and um I was texting uh, with Allison and she was at the coffee shop down the street and I was like, I'm going to hop over there for 20 minutes and, mm-hmm. and say hi. So, you know, I went and bought a Italiano and sat there and we nice. chatted for 20 minutes before I, I hopped over here. So I mean like those type, like being willing to invest in little moments like that. and little experiences to me is like the, the best way I can spend any extra <laughs> money I have is those moments. That's great. Well, you and I have certainly had some really cool experiences and moments as we've traveled around totally. uh, around the globe. We've got some uh, some funny stories. Uh, I, I think I'll never forget. We were in 
uh, Taipei, right? We were in Taipei and we had just finished an event downtown and we were driving out. We were so tired, so delirious that in the back of the car, we just, we, a, a whole group of us I've came never in. laughed so hard. Yeah. I, I, I was laughing so hard. I was crying and we, and we didn't even know what for. Yeah. And it was just, and then we rolled into the hotel with just a complete la- we look like a bunch of drunk Americans we and we did not, not yeah. n- none of us had been drinking. We I were know. just so tired, so jet lagged. I mean, anything that we said or did, we were laughing. Were, I, I was crumpled up on the floor, just crying. I was laughing so hard. But uh, yeah, experiences for sure. I've, I think being willing to save for stuff like that and mm-hmm. do it, it's added so much to my life to have gone to other parts of the mm-hmm. world and experience. Like, so I don't know. I would, I would invest in those things. I also think that like anything that gives you some time, and if you actually use that time and take the time to like listen. So I mean investing in somebody doing your lawn. In fact, I mean, you can invest in people doing your laundry and it doesn't actually cost that much. But I mean, it's like taking those things and like freeing up some time, but creating that space. And then the trick is to actually use the space. Because I think that what we do is like, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. Mm -hmm. So if we create some space, like we have all these computer programs and, you know, cell phones and things that are like supposed to create more space for us. But all it does is like, add all this volume and noise mm-hmm. but if you can do things or take moments that create that little bit of space and you actually use it to collect your thoughts to write down what's in your head mm-hmm. i kind of like do downloads where i'm just like okay i just, I just have to get like sometimes it's like popcorn just i'm just mm-hmm. like writing down random stuff and then it becomes clear what's most important becomes clear i think anything you can invest in that creates space that you actually then use is hugely valuable I couldn't agree more. Well, speaking of creating space, I just want to say thank you for creating space in your busy schedule to come over and oh, uh, do this do this, this podcast. It's, uh, we've covered a lot of ground, and uh, I've been extremely impressed with how many books you've been able to drop into this, and so we'll definitely put all those in the show notes. Grant, you're not only just a great friend, a great guy, you're doing some incredible things in the world, and I definitely want to have you back on the on the show in the future for you to be able to talk about some of your work and that not, that you're, there's things that you're doing in Asia, things that you're doing in Africa. Uh, obviously, uh, we're very proud to be able to, uh, to partner with Crown and the Foundations for Farming and the I Was Hungry Project in Zimbabwe, and it's, that's very near and dear to my heart. I know that you're helping out in that uh, in a very uh, substantial leadership role. So looking forward to continuing to support you on that journey. And uh, looking forward to you and I still being able to to stay in touch and work with each other. Yeah. And uh, every single time we get together, I learn from you. And I, I just I appreciate your friendship. And for those of you who are listening in today, I hope you enjoyed our banter back and forth and uh, the, the words of wisdom that Grant was able to share with you. If you have somebody that you would like to have on the podcast, definitely email our office and we will work hard to interview them. Please share this with your friends and family and those who would be encouraged uh, with some of the things that we discussed today. And as always, we look forward to chatting with you next time on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Taking the Leap podcast with your host, Bob Dickey. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at www.takingtheleappodcast.com and bonvera.rocks. You can also find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Taking the Leap.